All right, so we are in the book of John. If you're new here, uh, we, we like to go through books of the Bible here. And part of why we do that is uh, it just kind of helps us to preach something that's sometimes called the whole counsel of God's word. Like we, there are passages that I go through that I probably wouldn't go through. Like I wouldn't flip open and be like, yeah, I, re- I really want to preach on this tough idea this week. I'd probably just kind of pick my favorite passages or the passages that are most well-known to me or meant a lot to me. That's, that's just honestly how I would probably do it. And so I'm thankful that we can go through books of the Bible because it helps us to see things and go through things and and, and hear from God in ways that maybe I wouldn't have been looking to hear from God. And so we go through books of the Bible here, give you a little preview of of the coming months. So we're going to be in John for uh, the rest of this month. And then starting in June, we're going to take a break from John and we're going to hop into the book of Nehemiah for the summer, okay? And so we know everybody's like, ah, we're in the same book forever and ever and ever and that's just sin but 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 to help you with that to help you with that uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break from John we're gonna spend some time in Nehemiah this summer and so uh, so that's that, that's what we like to do here. We like to go through books of the Bible. Sometimes we'll do topical. We're not knocking topical because we do topical series as well, but, uh, but that's, that's generally what you'll find in these moments. And so we're going to be in John today. We're in John chapter 11, and I know I, I usually like to open with some sort of an illustration that kind of sets the table for us, that kind of helps us uh, get to where we want to go today, but I actually think these first few seven verses of John chapter 11 uh, kind of set the table for us, and it points out a couple of things that we'll be looking for today, and then there's kind of a framework that I want us to keep in mind as we go today, and so we're going to be in a lot of verses today. We're going to be in 44 verses today, okay, because it is one story, and we just didn't feel like breaking up one story. We thought it's, it's a little bit more powerful to go go through this one true story that Jesus uh, had with, with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And so uh, oh, if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 11 of John, the verses will be on the screen. I'm just going to hop right into it. I'm going to read these seven verses, and we're going to see how these seven verses actually intro for us the day and, and kind of set a framework for where we're going today, okay? So John chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us us go to Judea again. Okay, let's stop there. So so in, in these opening verses... There's really two things that are mentioned here that, that are going to be the two things that we're going to be looking for as we go through this story. And then there's a framework I want to talk about that will kind of help us to, to uh, I think, connect to this story more, okay? And so the, the first thing is, is based on what kind of Jesus says right here. The first thing we're going to be looking for is God's glory in this story. Jesus says, hey, the, what's about to go down is going to be the very glory of God. 
Jesus even says, he himself, the son of God, is going to be glorified through what is about to go down. And so today, as we go through the story, we're going to be looking for God's glory. Now, this word has been kind of like hijacked, and we kind of just say it without knowing what it means. But God's glory is this idea of his weightiness, his reality, Right? Often when God's glory is talked about in the scriptures, it's talked about in this way of things that point to him. Right? Sometimes this word glory is used to talk about a king, and it would point to the king's kingdom, and it would point to the king's wealth and his riches and all the things that he has, and it would say that that would be the king's glory. And so whatever happens in today's story, it's going to point to God's glory. It's going to point to his magnificence. It's going to point to his reality. It's going to point to his weightiness. And so as we move through the story today, we're going to be looking for God's glory. Okay? Because we're, we're going to see God's glory hap- happen and, and, and manifest in, in this story. Okay, the, the next thing that we're going to be looking for uh, is based kind of on what the author John says about Jesus here. Uh, he says this funny thing. He, he says, hey, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so the second thing that we're going to be looking for is how Jesus loves. Like throughout this story, we are going to get a glimpse of how Jesus, the Son of God, loves people. And we're just going to watch that. What I love about the Gospel of John, and really the Gospels in general, is we get this opportunity to see how God in the flesh loves us. We can just watch how, how Jesus loves the world. We can see how his love is, is, is much bigger than we think. His love is often much more nuanced than, than we, we think about it or think it to be. And so we're going to just watch and look at these different pictures of how Jesus loves the different people in the story. So we're going to be looking for God's glory. We're going to be watching for Jesus' love today. And then there's a framework that I want us to keep in mind as, as we go through this today. There, there's this funny verse that I read in there. Did you notice that it said, okay, Jesus loved uh, Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed two days longer where he was. Right? You're like, that, G- what? Okay, Jesus, uh, he's dead. Like, he's dying. Like, that, you, this is an emergency. When you love someone, you usually don't, like, you know, if my kid called me on the phone, they're like, Dad, that, I, I'm in trouble. I need you to get home. I'd be like, hey, I love you, so I'm going to wait two days before I get there. Like, it doesn't make sense. And so part of that is we're going to see that God's love works a little bit differently at times than we expect it to. But I think the author of John is trying to communicate something to us. I think he's trying to say that this story is closer to us than we realize. I think what, what we, what the framework that we have to realize is, is, is John wrote this gospel for later readers, right? He, he, he wasn't trying to just take down historical accounts of stuff, although I think they are historical accounts of stuff. He wrote this down so people later would read this and they would believe in Jesus and find life in his name. And so the framework for us is to go, hey, this was written for us. And so when Jesus waits two days... I, and, and the people in the store are going, man, Jesus, where are you? I think we have a lot in common with them, right? Like they are seeing death without a visible Jesus in front of them. 
They are facing suffering. They are facing pain. They're facing death itself without Jesus physically being present among them. And I think the author wants us to connect to that. Because the reality is, many of us face pain and death and suffering without a physically present Jesus. And so we are closer to the people in the story than we think sometimes. And so the framework we need to realize is John wrote this for us. John wrote this so that we would believe, not just so we would just see a fun story or so that the, 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 the histor- historical records would show. He wrote it so we would believe. And so as we go through this, this story shouldn't be so far off. It shouldn't feel 2,000 years away. Many of us can relate to what the what the people in the story are going through in this, okay? So that's where we're looking for God's glory, we're looking for his love, and we're, remember, we're remembering that, that John wrote this for later readers, which we are later readers. So let's hop into it. Let's begin to watch and look for these things. Let's hop into verse 8. We're going to go through 16, and then we'll stop, and then we'll keep going. We'll stop. You know how I do this. And so let's go to verse 8. The disciples, this is right after Jesus says, well, let's go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The, the, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he had fallen asleep, he, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, so let's stop. The, the disciples go, hey, uh, Jesus, I, I, okay, you want to go back to Judea? I don't know if you know this, but two times they tried to kill you. Two times they picked up stones, right? Like Peter just hightailed it out of it. Like, like the, we should not go back. And I, I love Jesus' response. Jesus, sometimes he just does this thing where he just responds in a way that I'm like, wow, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus is trying to teach them things, and he uses a lot of colorful metaphorical language. And so uh, even I had to go like, what are you saying here, Jesus? Jesus basically goes, listen, I got work to do. In my ministry, I've got work to do, and the work day is still happening. Like, they're just not getting it. They're just not getting that Jesus, if, he, if he's going to get killed, he's going to have, like, he's going to know about it, and he's going to walk towards it, and he's going to allow it to happen. They just really, it's like they're missing this component that he's the son of God, even though many of them would go, yeah, I believe that you're the son of God. They're just not quite getting it. So Jesus goes, I got work to do. We're going to be okay. I'm going to go there. We're get, we got work to do. I got to go wake Lazarus up. And they go, he's going to, well, what? that's a long way to walk to wake somebody up. Jesus is like, guys, I speak in metaphorical language, okay? This is just a thing I do, okay? He's dead, all right? He's dead. And I'm glad he's dead because he really says, I'm glad he, I was not there so that your belief could be deepened. What he really says there, and, and this is kind of what begins to stick out to me, 
what, he's, what he says there is, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Okay, these 12 guys who abandon their life, who follow him, who proclaim him as the Christ, who proclaim him as the Son of God, who live out his teachings, who want to be his disciples, which had huge connotations back then to be like, they were basically saying, we want to be you when you go away. These guys, Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there so you could believe. And, and this is what sticks out to me about how Jesus loves the disciples here. And I think it's how he loves us too. Jesus does things in a way so we would believe more deeply. And, and this is a way that Jesus loves us. Remember, I, I'm going to say this 44 more times as we're in the book of John, but belief in John is not just a mental assent. It's not just, uh, just going like, yeah, sure, I, I believe. I Logically, it is that. But it's this robust word that, that talks about like, like entrusting yourself here. It, it has these deep relational connotations. And one of the ways that Jesus loves the disciples is he wants to deepen their belief. He wants to deepen their relationship with him. He wants to deepen their trust in him. And this is good for them. This is how Jesus loves. This is important for us to know about God. That God loves us in a way to deepen our belief. Right? Like God wants us to have deeper trust in him. To, to be more deeply connected to him. To know him more. To trust him more. God wants that for us. And so as we walk about this broken world, at times, things will be confusing for us, but for God's people, often, God is loving us in a way to deepen our belief, to deepen our trust in him. And it's scary, just like it is for Thomas, who just, I, lo I love Thomas's line in there. It just reminds me of, he's just like, fine, let's go die. Right? <laughs> I love that his confidence that, like, they're going to die, too. Like, Jesus has done so many things at this point. He's like, let's just go die. But isn't that just like us? Like, the minute suffering comes into our life, and the minute it looks like something's coming into our life that's going to hurt us and be painful, our last thought is maybe, our last thought is maybe Jesus is loving me by deepening my trust in him. it's good for us to have deeper trust in Jesus. I don't know how to talk about this outside of relational terms, but I don't know if you've, if you've ever been this person. Maybe I've been this person where I'm, I'm distrusting of someone who is trying so hard to love me, and I'm cynical of someone who's trying so hard to love me, and that this person is mature enough, whoever that might be, to, to just kind of keep loving me. Keep building my trust. Keep doing things to know that I have their love in my life. I think that's what, how Jesus loves. I think that's how God loves us. 
right? Jesus knows we're cynical, untrusting creatures. Like, that's part of how sin has affected us. And so Jesus, in his shepherding, in his work, is working to, like, get that out of us. So we trust him more. It's good for us to believe. It's good for our belief to be deepened. And Jesus, a way that he loves us is by deepening our belief in him. I'm encouraged by that. Because if it was up to me to deepen my belief, it would be very shallow. Okay, let's keep keep watching uh, how Jesus loves in this story. We're going to see him interact with Martha next. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came... Uh, he found that Lazarus had already been dead, been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Okay, so let's stop there. Uh, Jesus begins to walk towards Bethany. He's outside of town, it seems like. Martha hears that he's coming, and so she runs out. This just fits for me, Martha and Mary's type A and whatever Mary's personality is, right? We know from Luke 10, like, Martha was around cleaning and all this stuff and wanted Mary to help, and Mary was just sitting at his feet. And so it makes sense to me that Martha's willing to take a jog outside of town to get some cardio in before uh, he gets into town. And so Martha gets to... Jesus, and Lazarus has been dead four days. Now, back then, this is just a little note. Four days, that's when they knew someone was, like, dead, dead. Okay, so they had a belief back then, even the Jewish people back then, that maybe somebody's spirit would kind of hover over their body that first three days. But the fourth day, that spirit was gone. So this, this person was not coming back. That's just, that's just a fun interesting thing, especially in light of Jesus waiting two days and how he loves us maybe differently than we expect. But that's not my point. Martha comes up to Jesus and she just goes, Jesus, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I I know whatever, whatever you ask God to do, God will do. I know that. And then Jesus says, he'll rise again. And Martha's response it was a good theological response in the day. She goes, I, I know, I know, I know one day God's coming back and he's going to raise his people. On the last day, at the end of time, that's what God's going to do. Because you see, there was all sorts of different thoughts in the Jewish people around resurrection at that time. But probably the people, especially the ones that followed Jesus and were around Jesus, they believed that at the end of time, God would come back and he would raise his people. 
That he would literally resurrect his people. And so when Jesus says, hey, he will rise again, Martha thinks he's kind of saying this platitude, this platitude about um, uh, kind of like to comfort her in the face of death. I wonder if that's kind of what people were saying at funerals at the time. Like, hey, he'll rise again. Now, Jesus is saying that because he knows Spoiler alert, that, that Lazarus is going to get raised later that day. But Martha takes it as like, okay, he's saying this kind of theological thing. And so now what Jesus could do with Martha is he could go, no, Martha, I'm going to raise him from the dead in like 10 minutes. That's how he could respond, right? That's how I would respond. But that's not how he responds. How Jesus responds to Martha is she goes, yeah, I know, I know on the last day, like, he'll, he'll be raised from the dead. Jesus' response is not, okay, I'm going to do this later. His response is, I'm the resurrection, Martha, and the life. Anyone that believes in me, even if they die, they're going to live. Anyone that believes in me is going to be resurrected, and this sticks out to me because, again, if, if Jesus just wanted to simply communicate to Martha, hey, I'm going to raise your brother in 25 minutes, he could have just said that. But I think the way he responds to Martha shows us how Jesus is loving Martha in this moment, in her pain, in her questioning, in her despair. Jesus is loving Martha and giving her what she needed. And the way that Martha is loved by Jesus is, is, is simply this. Jesus is trying to teach her that the resurrection is not a doctrine, but it's a person. Right? I, I think the resurrection is a doctrine, so hear me. I'm not trying to speak heresy right now. But Martha just had the resurrection as this kind of far-off, distant, theological idea for the people of God. And Jesus is trying to say, no, it's not that. It's me. Jesus is trying to teach her that the resurrection isn't found in words on a page, but in Jesus himself. Martha needed to know that. That the resurrection was not this dead religious thing. But the resurrection was found in him. This is how Jesus loves Martha. Martha desperately needs to know that life is found in Jesus. That hope is found not just in clinging to these ideas that they had at the time, but that hope is found in deep connection to him who is the resurrection and the life. And we know that that's what Jesus is inviting her into because then he begins to talk about believing in him, which we know is an entrusting of oneself. And it's, it's confusing because Martha shows all kinds of belief in this passage. She rolls up on him and says, hey, I know he wouldn't have died if you were here. And, she, and then she even kind of goes, I know you could do it. Like, I know you could raise him. I bet you could raise him. That, I feel like that's kind of what she's saying. I bet you could do it. Well, if so, if you could, just pray that. Right? She shows all sorts of belief 
in Jesus, and yet she needs to see that her belief needs to be connected to him as a person in relationship with the Son of God. And so Jesus tells her he's the resurrection and the life, and this is how Martha needs to be loved, and I bet it's how a lot of us need to be loved. Some of us need to see that Jesus is inviting us into the same truth. That, that in, in the face of death, in the face of destruction, in the, in the face of your suffering right now, theological cliches and platitudes, although sometimes they can comfort, they're not going to comfort you the way that Jesus himself can. Although those things can give us hope of what to look forward to and what God's going to do, the only real hope is in Jesus himself. Some of us need to let Jesus love us this way. Let, let Jesus say to us that he's the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Connecting to him, believing in him, entrusting yourself to him, having relationship with him is where you're going to find life. Even in the face of death, even in the face of suffering, that's where you're going to find life. I think sometimes people think that my job is just to say, hey, if I can just say all these theological platitudes, that's how you guys are going to get through this life. No. How you're going to get through this life is if you get that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the resurrection and the life and He desperately wants to be connected to you. And that's the only place to find life. That's the only place to find hope. And that's what Martha needed to hear and that's what many of us need to hear. And that's Jesus loving us. That's Jesus loving us and that's Jesus loving Martha. Okay, let's keep going. Let's watch how Jesus loves Mary, verse 28, the good sister. Um, I'm just kidding. I got some bitterness and sibling stuff I got to work on. Um, verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's stop there. Okay, so Mary comes along. She runs to Jesus, and she just kind of just crumbles at his feet and just begins to weep. And she says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus begins to become greatly troubled, and he's saying, let's go to the tomb. And as he sees the pain around him, he's moved. He's troubled. And he begins to cry with Mary and anyone else there that was crying. And even for everyone there, it's clear that Jesus loved Lazarus 
and loved Mary. So they're going, look, he loved Lazarus. This is, this is real and this is true. And so there's a few things. There's a few things that stick out to me in this passage. A few, few things that point to Jesus' love, point to his glory that I want to look at. The first thing is this is, do you see how Jesus' love is so intentional? Jesus' love is so intentional. The reason why I say that is because, did you notice both sisters say the exact same thing to Jesus? The exact, I went back. It's the exact same phrase. They both go up to Jesus and say, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And yet Jesus gives each of them totally different responses. Martha needed to be invited into the resurrection, invited into trust, invited into belief. Mary needed tears. Jesus' love is intentional. This shows us God's love. This shows us God's glory. This shows us God's weightiness. This shows us how God loves us. I think a lot of times, and I, I feel this sometimes in different church settings, we kind of all go, hey, here's the one size fits all to loving somebody, especially when someone messy is in the church and they need an, a lot of extra love and care. You bring a group of people who've been caring for that person, and there's almost always one person goes, we need to do A, B, and C for this person because I did that with that person over there, and I'm going to do it with that person in the future. And the reality is that's just not how God loves people. Martha needed an invitation into trust. Mary needed his tears. God loves us intentionally because he loves us uniquely. Isn't that great news? Isn't it great that, that John captured this in the scriptures? If there was a one-size-fits-all to God's love and how he loved us, some of us would surely read scriptures and feel left out because he only loves people in certain ways. But when we read passages like this, we can go, he, he's going to love me intentionally and uniquely. He's going to love me the way that I need to be loved. He's going to care for me the way that I need to be cared for. God loves all of us equally. Hear me. He loves all of us equally. But he loves us intentionally and uniquely. And he does that with his sisters. This can be frustrating for us. Because we kind of, we can watch how God sometimes loves people next to us. And we want God to do those things for us. Or we want God to express his love to us in those ways. Or we just wish connecting with God the way that people next to us would be how we connect to God. And we kind of just don't understand what we're missing. But what we have to know is that God loves us intentionally and uniquely. And what we've seen from the rest of the story in ways we don't always expect him to. And not always on our timeline. You can be approaching God the exact same way as your sister and the way he responds to you can be totally different. This is how Jesus loves. Jesus' love is so intentional. It's unique. It just stands out to me that in this story, the sisters just say the same thing and yet he responds to them both differently and it's both how they needed to be loved. There's another way that, that Jesus loves Mary here, and I'm, I've already been referencing it, that sticks out to me, but it's, he, he weeps with her. 
This is a way that he loves Mary. He weeps with those who weeps. Mary's pain, Mary's sadness becomes his sadness. It becomes his pain. I don't know if you've ever had that, if you've ever known someone, when you're explaining something painful and it brings tears to to their eyes. I've had that before, and those are the moments I've probably felt the most loved in my life. Because I, I could see that they understood my pain. They understood what I was going through. This is a way that Jesus loves Mary. He weeps with those who weep. Before we keep looking at Jesus' love and his glory, I, I, w- I want to pause here. If you're here and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is a moment for us to look at Jesus and ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to me to follow Jesus into this sort of living, into this sort of loving? Right, because this story shows us that if we can't or we won't weep at tombs, we're not like our master Jesus. That we don't love like Jesus loves if we're not willing to, to cry with those facing death, to cry with those facing suffering. Right? Sometimes you read through this passage and you're kind of just like, these tears all seem pointless if he's just about to raise him. And we'll get to that in a few minutes here. But one of the points of the tears is Jesus loves Mary. This is how we can love people. It's it's to cry with them to understand their pain to grow in empathy this is a way Jesus loves I think it's a way that followers of Jesus are called to love some of you go Anthony that's not my personality I haven't cried since I was 14 I would just say hey let's go to therapy together but then but some of you that's just your personality you just you don't cry and I don't I don't know I don't have the time to figure out why you don't cry uh, you don't have the time to figure out why I cry all the time. And so uh, that, I get it. That's not your personality. But uh, here's, here's what my challenge would be. There's a lot of things and a lot of ways Jesus loves that are not my personality. And yet he still calls me into it. Right? Like, it's not my personality to be kind. It's not. Like, I've, I've had, I've had a, a good look at my heart. I've seen myself in the mirror, and I just think that's just not a natural part of who I am. I have an unholy anointing to be not kind, to be mean. And when I'm called into being kind as Scripture and Jesus himself and, and, and throughout the pages of Scripture we're invited into, I go, man, I don't want to. That just doesn't feel natural to me. And yet I'm still called to it if I'm a disciple of his. He's showing me who he truly wants me to be. Probably who I truly am if I'm redeemed. And so crying with those experiencing death and pain is a way that we're called to love. If you're like, this isn't a good enough. Romans says, in a flat out, weep with those who weep. We're to, we're, we're to cry with those who are suffering. We're supposed to understand people's suffering. Their pain is supposed to become our pain. Their sadness is supposed to become our sadness. I think Jesus weeps with those who weep for a second reason, though, too. I think he weeps with those who, who weep because 
death bothers Jesus. Death bothers. You see in the passage, he says that he, that he was greatly troubled. And I think he's, he, he, he is empathizing with Mary, but I think he's also just greatly troubled at how death has hurt people he loved. And so I think some of Jesus' tears were shed because God does not like death. Death is not a part of the world that God wants for us. Jesus came to get rid of death. One of the horrible, horrible side effects of, of sin in the world is there's death in the world now too. And Jesus came to get rid of it. And so when he's in this moment with his friends and his friend who just died, he's greatly troubled because I think death bothers God. And so if it's, if it's hard for you to weep with those who weep, I would just say, does death make you weep? Does death bother you as much as it bothers God? In this world, it can be very easy to just kind of be numb towards death. We see so much death, suffering, pain around us. A, a, good, a good just like choice feels like I'm just going to be apathetic. And however, we might not consciously make that choice, but I think we some subconsciously make that choice at times. And when we do that, we miss a part of God's heart, which is he hates death. He's bothered by death. It, it moves him to tears. Right? This... Here's another a little thing. When we have people around us that are experiencing death, what Jesus teaches us here in how he loves Mary is that it's okay for us to cry. It's okay for us to cry when people are experiencing death and pain and sadness. I've noticed a lot of times when we go to comfort people in their pain and sadness and they're Christians, we feel like we have to say something theological in order to love them well, in order to give them hope. And I'd say nine times out of ten, those people say, that didn't feel very loving. Now listen, I think the theological things help me to have hope and help me to know what's true and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know if they always help me to love people that are hurting and love people that are experiencing death. And so when we're with people going through this, when we're at a funeral, I think that Jesus is almost kind of inviting us out of just kind of coming up to someone and being like, God's in control, and just being willing to just cry and just be like, this is horrible. This is horrible. Death is horrible. I don't know why we as Christians have lost this idea that death is horrible, but it is a deeply Christian idea to say death is horrible and we can cry about it. We're going to be doing a lament later today, and as we've done the laments, the most controversial thing sometimes for people, because they're just like, why are we, no, we need to focus on the resurrection and the hope and all that stuff, and I agree. That is where we find our hope, and that is even where we should focus but Jesus himself gives us permission to weep with those who weep. Jesus himself gives us permission to say, death is horrible. This is horrible. And I find that incredibly loving that God doesn't give us platitudes, but he gives us tears at times to love us. God took on flesh so that he could cry with us 
so that he can know, so that he could help us to see that he does indeed know what we're going through. That's who our God is. That's how he loves us. That's how he loved Mary. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at the last kind of act of this passage. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus says, open up the tomb. And we see Jesus, Jesus needed to love Martha the way that he needed to love her because she's just not quite getting it. Right? Even in her faith of going, hey, whatever you ask, I think could happen. Even in the midst of that, she, Jesus is like, let's move the tomb. She's not anticipating Jesus raising him from the dead. She's just kind of going, Jesus, this is so undignifying. It, he's gonna, it's it's going to smell really bad. It's going to be horrible. And I love Jesus. Like, I almost feel like that he, there, there might have been a glimmer, like a sparkle in his eye as he looks at Martha and he goes, do you remember what I was just talking to you about? This is the glory. We're about to see it. This is the glory. It's coming. They move the stone and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, he has this prayer And this prayer to me is something that just really has stood out to me as I've been studying this passage. And because I think this prayer, it it shows a way that Jesus loves us. And he just prays, Father, I know you hear my prayers. I know you always do. I'm praying this out loud so everybody here can see that you're working through me. See that I'm your son. See that you sent me. Jesus is praying for their belief. That's so interesting to me. And I think this is a way that Jesus loves us, and it's kind of connected to the first way, but Jesus wants us to believe. Jesus wants the crowd to believe. This is a way that Jesus loves the crowd. And it's a way he loves us. He, Jesus could have just lived his life and did his ministry, right, and, and left and, and told us what was true and said, hey, you should believe in that and all that. But as he's doing all these things, he's like, man, I want you to believe. As he's, he could have just raised Lazarus from the dead and said, see what I said? Like he could have said, like he could have done all this. But as he's raising Lazarus from the dead, he's like, God, please, my father, help them see this so they believe. Jesus prays for our belief because belief in Jesus is good for us. Like I was talking about at the beginning, we were created for belief in God. 
That is a fundamental aspect of who you and I are. We need to believe in God to be whole, flourishing humans. And Jesus, in this prayer, is fighting for our flourishing. He's fighting for our joy. He's not fighting for a religion to be built. He's fighting for us to be restored, to have a relationship with him. Jesus so loves us that he prays for our belief. We were created for his love. We were created for his trust. Right, teaching my kids that they can trust me and they can trust their siblings and they can love each other. Like this is a fundamental to them being whole and human. As you study developmental stuff and you look at how critical it is that the family loves well for, for the development of a child, I think you begin to see that this is kind of how God is loving us. It is critical for our flourishing and fundamental to our humanity, to believe in God, to entrust ourselves to God, to have connection to God. And Jesus so deeply desires that for his people. And so that's what he prays for. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead, and we get to see that God's glory is not just fun, emotions, and all this stuff, but God's glory comes in power too. That God's love comes with life. God's love comes with conquering death. What a good God we have. Right? Often Christianity is one of those things. It's kind of all love or all resurrection. And God's like, I'm going to give it all. You're going to get all of it from me. I want you to have my love and I want you to have my life. I want you to have my resurrection. Who is this God? For us and the people in the story, Jesus can feel far away sometimes. We're like he's not arrived in time. Or we're kind of left just feeling like, Jesus, where are you? Are you even here? And the author of John knew that. He knew that that's how Martha and Mary felt. And he knew that later generations would feel that. And we can left just be going, God, where are you? But Jesus' love is closer to you than you think. Jesus is loving you in ways you don't expect. He's loving you intentionally and uniquely. His heart hurts when your heart hurts. Jesus hears your cries at the pangs of death in this world, and he wants to bring you life and resurrection. And all he, all he asks, all he invites us into is trusting him, taking his hand, believing in him. Jesus' love and his glory are closer to us than we think. May we see that. May we see his glory. May we see his love. May we believe more deeply. May we uh, understand his love more completely. May we see that he lived a life of holiness so we could get his love. May we see he died a death, taking on the death of this world to give us his forgiveness and love. And he raised from the dead 
again showing us the glory of God comes with love and resurrection. And all we need to simply do is believe. May we believe more deeply. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray.